Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? Well, the latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us. We talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? And I just had no answer for <laughs> He just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. back to the Tom Bernard Show. I'm your host, Dave Schrader, filling in for Tom. Tom will be back with you next Monday. Our guest through this hour is Judith Very Baker, and uh, her new book is Kennedy and Oswald, The Big Picture. Talk to me about your perspective on this. Why do you believe wholeheartedly that Lee was not involved, and what evidence do you have to support that theory? Well, it's not a theory. It's a fact. Uh, I think more one of the some of the evidence that I have to support who Lee Oswald really was is way back in, in that I was saying things about this 
And Judith, could, could you do me a quick out. favor? Judith, can you get a little closer to your microphone? Okay. Uh, you're a little, little hollow sounding. I just want to make sure we can hear everything you have to say. Okay, I can turn it up too. No, just you're fine. It's just getting closer to the microphone will work better for okay. us. Okay, so go ahead. Well, I'd also like to say thank you for being well informed. That makes a big difference when I'm speaking to someone. Uh, you, I mean, you really understand uh, what the message is and what was really going on, and I appreciate that very much. The fact of the matter is is that we have all kinds of evidence a lot of it is in the book me and lee but more has come out uh, in these secret records uh, which is substantiate what he was doing but supposedly lee oswald was a lone nut that didn't uh, have any friends right. that uh, you know was on a whim shot at general walker think about this who was kennedy's enemy and then he later he goes and shoots kennedy there are all kinds of inconsistencies like that right in the record. But I suppose the most impo important is to know for the public out there that on November 22nd, the day that Kennedy, before his body achieved rigor mortis, the FBI through John Edgar Hoover put out a memo. And the memo said to inquiries about whether anybody else should be involved because Lee Oswald had just been arrested said not necessary because the true subject has been located. In other words, the FBI closed the case a few hours after Lee Harvey Oswald was actually arrested on the same day of the murder and before any evidence reached the file, the uh, FBI laboratories in Washington, D.C. That's the beginning. When you do have some kind of let's case close only a few hours after the death of the president, that's one of the strongest evidences we have that something's afoot and that this is not normal and that something's wrong. Under every circumstance, if you, if you arrest someone, you're going to find out if they have any accomplices. Now, today, they're trying to say that he did have accomplices, you know, because obviously uh, there's too much evidence now that he was not a lone nut, that he had a lot of friends. What they did is a lot of uh, them were killed and others like, like myself, we had to be silent so that uh, we wouldn't lose our lives. Did you know that Robert Oswald was able to go to Lee Oswald's funeral, and so was Lee's wife and mother, but they wouldn't even let Robert Oswald and Lee Oswald's own brother into the funeral or anybody else? So it looked like nobody cared about him, but we do, and we did. And another other people have come forth since I spoke out uh, that are verifying and supporting what I have said about Lee because they knew it about him, too. You said uh, a couple of the points, if I remember correctly, for a man who supposedly was so anti-American, when he was arrested, he was wearing his Marine ring. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Yes, and by the way, in, in the earliest uh, description of that ring, they called it a silver object. They didn't even want people to know that it was a Marine ring that he was wearing. Lee not only wore that ring, but he took off the ring that was his wedding ring and left it behind. That really meant a lot to me because I knew that was his symbol to me that, you know, we had wanted to get married. And if he said if he got out alive, excuse me, if he got out alive, that, uh, you know, we would marry in Mexico. Now, they, uh, the, uh, what we're going to be talking about at the conference on the 17th, 18th, and 19th, I founded that conference to get the right people in, 31 speakers who tell the truth this time. We've done that last time as well. You're going to hear 
information that you've never heard before. And I hope that uh, press comes, media comes. They don't like to come to those kind of things, but things are being turned upside down. I'm just saying thank you very much for this opportunity. I want to tell you. My pleasure. I'm I'm fascinated talking about this and learning more. Right. Yeah, we don't have enough time to show you the all the files. Uh, where if you go to Judith Baker, J-U-D-Y-T-H Baker on Facebook, become my Facebook friend. Uh, we have to kick out the trolls, you know, but there you'll see file after file after file of how Lee Oswald was framed, of who Lee Oswald really was. One of the most remarkable things is that people say to me, well, why didn't he say he was CIA? Lee Oswald was a fake defector. He had made contacts in the USSR with double agents. Had he said that he was CIA, they would have, the U, uh, USSR the authorities over there in Russia would have executed those people. They would want to show uh, how anxious they were to prove that they were not involved in the assassination. So they would have killed all those agents. Well, talk, talk to me, too. You, you just made a comment I want to make sure we circle back to. You said yes. that he said that if if I get out of this, I'm going to marry you. Yes. Okay, so he knew that he was now a marked man, and that was because he got information and wind that this assassination attempt was going to happen. He tried to alert his higher-ups. Is that correct? Yes. Well, now, he told me, and I told this in 1999, but it wasn't until almost a decade later that this came out by Abraham Bolden and others, in 1999, I asserted that Lee told me that he believed he had saved Kennedy's life three weeks earlier. That's Chicago. And now we have evidence that uh, he he was never someone to brag. He didn't say, I I did it, you know. He said, I believe I did. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, an informant called and warned the FBI in Chicago. They arrested armed men. They called off Kennedy's uh, flight to Chicago, and Abraham Bolden said it saved Kennedy's life. And then Abraham told us, the FBI told him and others that the name of that informant was Lee. So, you know, when that came out, I was, I was uh, really glad to hear that. Another thing that, uh, other things that have happened, uh, Lee had joined an abort team, a team that was moving from city to city, trying to save Kennedy's life, because they were aware of all of these threats. They arrived late in Dallas. But Lee told me he had become a member of this abort team. Now, I was talking to Jim Mars again. It was late 1999, and he was inspecting all my materials and all the evidence. He was very intrigued. In fact, he did write the afterword in me and Lee. So he's right there supporting what I've said. Now, here's what's interesting. As I'm showing him all of this, all of a sudden I said that Lee had joined an abort team. That man sat up straight and said, what? He said, nobody knows about this abort team. He rattled off some names. He said, do you recognize any names? I stopped him when I heard the name Robert Tosh Plumley. I said, that's the one. That's the one that Lee knew. He contacted Plumley, and Plumley agreed that Lee Oswald, indeed, uh, that was the case. Now, in 2014, Robert Tosh Plumley, CIA pilot and asset, who had brought out the facts about this abort team, went to Lee Oswald's grave and asked us to photograph him as he gave Lee a military salute in his grave for what he had done to try to save Kennedy's life. 
See, now that's where it starts getting into the really fascinating aspects of your story is that here are all of these people that can corroborate it, that are in the know, that had information and understand what, what actually yeah. happened. And then so he saved the life of Kennedy with that first uh, call and with that with that information that was leaked. Is that what put him on the radar or was it because he was also he was still being vigilant? You're you're a very bright man. As a matter of fact, he told me that after he did that, he was under suspicion and that now he was seeing, he had penetrated this assassination group, the ring that was forming to kill Kennedy in Dallas. And he said that here's the problem, Judusky, you called me Judusky. He said, here's the problem. I've seen too many faces. He said he knew enough about tradecraft. He knew enough about how things went. He had seen so many faces that he knew they were going to kill him. And once the assassination took place, uh, Lee was arrested for this. What was your initial reaction when you get the word that the man that you're in love with has been has been arrested for the assassination of our 35th president? You're, you're hitting home right now to me because everybody's accosting me right now, of course, about all these details. And I'm close to tears. And uh, you see, when you love someone, it's like saying, tell us, tell us some more about how your mother struggled and died with cancer. If you see what I'm talking about, it's very difficult to uh, go back to those times. And when I saw Lee shot on TV, my mind blanked out for two whole days. I can't remember anything. Um, And then I'd had nightmares. Only when I finally spoke out about Lee did those nightmares go away. There's no possible way. And anybody who, I'm going to tell you something. It's right in the Warren Commission. There's Francis Martello. When Lee was arrested on August 9th for passing out these FPCC uh, flyers, people, Lee Oswald was pretending to be pro-caster and was passing out these fair play for Cuba flyers because they were watching for anyone who was Latino or Latina to take them. They would, the FBI and, and Bannister, they were watching these people, any of them who actually responded to, because it said their meetings going to be held in lectures and to contact so-and-so. When they contacted, this is this organization that Lee was passing out flyers for did not really exist. There were no meetings. There were no lectures. But when people responded, they were immediately under the, the radar, okay, and were uh, on, suddenly exposed as being terribly interested in Castro. And a number of them were Castro spies that he had sent to New Orleans. Lee was posing as pro-Castro, now, he has a very big problem because that, that's been used against him. It was, you know, that he was a communist, that right. he had been a defector, that he was pro-Castro. So it was easy for them to throw him under the bus. It's it's a fascinating aspect of the story, and that that it was it, he was he was being set up for uh, as a patsy all the way along this route that he was yeah. taking without even realizing this. And I talked, uh, and we'll we'll come back to Judith after the break, and I want to talk about these new files that have been released. Yeah, is there anything really? that was explosive in here. And if not, then why keep them hidden for so long? That'll be part of what we talk about. One of the things I, okay. I, I've dug into over the last few years since our initial uh, talk was I've, I've got friends that are big parts of the military. I've asked them about the ability to shoot from that angle and why it would be done. And I was told by everybody I know, without any stance on which way they, they felt this story fell, that Oswald was uh, innocent or guilty, they said they are. They know marksmen. They've been marksmen. 
there was no possible way for anybody with the rifle that they accused him of shooting yeah. Kennedy with to move from one side to the other because it would have been an easier, clearer shot when Lee was up in that window to shoot the president as he was approaching instead of Absolutely. trying to hit him as he's driving away with a tree in the way, all of the people in the way, and to fire off those rounds and to have been able to readjust and get sighted in that scope. Every one of the different military uh, personnel that I've spoken to said that is impossible. There had to be multiple shooters involved for that to go off. There's, And they were saying, I have no skin in the game here. I don't believe one way or the other, but I, I can tell you this. I don't think that there's any way one guy could do those shots and clearly make those shots as deadly as they were. And there's just too much information that's coming out um, from experts that just in, in the firearms alone, that should be enough to make you really sit back and scratch your head. The books are out. You've got to check it out and, and read through this. Me and Lee is a fascinating book. Then to be followed up with David Ferry, Mafia Plot, which gives you so much more insight. Again, it's the only book written about David Ferry, seen in several of the films like JFK. DA Jim Garrison stated that Ferry was the most important witness in the Kennedy assassination. And then he was found dead five days later after his names were in the headlines. There's so many of those ties to this story that complicate it to point out to you that there was definitely some kind of conspiratorial action being done. And uh, now the new documents do seem to tie Oswald and Ruby, but what else do they tell us? Where else can we go with the story? We're going to continue on our journey with uh, Judith Avery Baker for the remainder of this hour to discuss that and see what these new files truly do tell us. I'm Dave Schrader. I'm the host of Beyond the Darkness, a five-day-a-week paranormal podcast. You can check out at podcastone.com. Just look up Beyond the Darkness for all the information. I also sit in with Tom every Tuesday here on the Uh, Tom Bernard podcast and radio show, and it's always a pleasure to do this. I'll be with you for the next few days. Uh, Tom will be back with you next Monday, and a little bit later on in the show, uh, Bill Burns is going to join us and talk about his book, uh, Hearts of Darkness, about children that have become killers. We'll discuss that a little later on in the show. It's just a lighthearted episode today right here on the Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here, and with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, I was reading on your website that one of your bankers has worked with a customer for more than 30 years. It's a long time for any business relationship. Is that common? Not only 30 years, but two generations. Our great client, Northland Fastening Systems. 30 years is definitely not common for a lot of bankers, but Brad has developed a relationship with that trusted customer that has allowed them to show steady growth every year they've been together. Building the relationship of trust is what we do best. It allows us to make quick deals that benefit them and all of our business customers. The cool thing is that it gives us a chance to be more than your banker, hopefully a partner, and maybe even a friend. I have never liked you, by the way. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience? Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Thanks, friend. And you are? <laughs> Real nice. Chuck Knobloch. <laughs> Chuck Knobloch. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, 
not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. This is the Tom Bernard Show. I'm Dave Schrader, your host. If you're interested in this type of topic, the JFK Assassination Conference, the fifth annual conference, is taking place November 17th, 18th, and 19th at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Dealey Plaza. You can find more information at jfkdallasconference.com. That's jfkdallasconference.com. They've got a great lineup of speakers that will give you many different perspectives on this story. But the story that's in the news right now and is so fascinating was the release. First of all, Judith, do we have any idea why 54 years in it would be okay to release these documents? That just seems like a strange number to choose. That was set up by the ARRB, the the Assassination Records Review Board in 1992 said, look, 25 years from now, that's long enough to wait. By the way, People are thinking that uh, some 300 have been held back or something. Uh, as a matter of fact, they've only released about 11.5% of the records. That Did you know that there are at least 25,000 more they have not released? They haven't even told the people that. Among those are about 300 key records. And even the records they've released, a lot of them have the last page cut off, so you can't find out certain answers like, uh, Richard Helms has asked, uh, was Lee Oswald CIA? And they dropped the last page so you don't get the answer. Uh, well, if those papers are, are still secret, the, yeah. I think the question, Judith, is if those papers are still secret, how do you know what they say? How do you well, know that those point, are the ones being yeah. held back? Well, a lot of them have been released in part. It's what, but, for example, we do not have Lee Oswald's tax records. And Lee told me that he received hazard pay when he was in the USSR. So if he got killed, his family would be taken care of. Right. You know, special insurance and all that. I would like to tell you, like, uh, what they're doing and misinterpreting what has been released. But, by the way, I, this, well, uh, for example, right now they're saying that this terrible man, Lee Harvey Oswald, actually went to the Russian uh, embassy and he went to the Cuban consulate uh, now, the real reason Lee went was that he had a biological weapon to hand off. When that person did not show up, he had a problem. He tried to get into Cuba him, itself but and uh, by himself. And the problem with that is that he had to get a, what's called a transit visa because he wouldn't want to stay there. If he's going to hand off something that might kill Castro, he has to get out of there. So he had to get a visa like he's going to go to USSR. He makes it to uh, an application for that because... He wants to show he's going on to a communist country, and that way the communists in Cuba will not be so suspicious. Actually, of course, he would have the option after getting into Cuba of going back to the U.S. if he wanted. Now, that's the background of that, of this effort of, uh, that Lee Oswald made to get a transit visa into Cuba so he could hand off this biological weapon himself and then uh, get out of there and uh, make it look like he's going to go to Russia, but he probably at the last minute would have stayed in Mexico, gone back to Mexico. 
that's the background. You have to understand that these uh, new records have come out, and we have the History Channel, for example, uh, saying they have an independent investigation going on. They're using Bob Bauer. He is the, one of the most important CIA officers ever lived. And this is supposed to be an independent investigation. Anyway, Bob Bauer has come out with some absurdities. I'd like to see him face-to-face -face and talk straight to his face because he says, look what this man has done. History Channel says it, and they're saying it all over the media. Oswald went and met with Kostikov, the KGB assassin. I'm, I'm almost laughing, and anybody else would who knows the situation. So I'm going to pretend that you wanted to go. Uh, say you wanted to go to Russia, and you're in Mexico. You, where would you have to go in order to get a visa? Well, where to, would you have to go? I, huh? I would guess you'd have to go, well, if you're an American in Mexico trying to get over to Russia? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would guess you'd have to go through the American consulate or, or go through America to get it. Uh, no, you have to go to the Russian embassy to get a Russian visa. See, they're right. the ones that actually hand out the visas. So when, when they said that this this horrible man, you know, Lee Oswald, actually went to the Russian embassy to get a visa, for, and uh, he met there with Kostikov, the assassin. Now, I'm going to show you how, how they twist things around. Say, um, I'm just going to use an example. Say that St. Pat, um, let's, let's do Mother Teresa. I like to do that one. Mother Teresa wants to go and visit the peasants in Russia, okay? Right. So she goes to the Russian embassy to get a visa because she's an American, and she can't get it any other way. It has to be that way. So she has to fill out a form, and after she fills out the form, an assistant looks at it, checks it, and then they hand that to the person who must interview her. The person interviewing anybody from America had to be a KGB agent. The only person that you could have talked to in 1963 was Kostikov. So Mother Teresa would have had to talk to Mr. Kostikov, the assassin, in order to get her visa approved. So they're telling you, look at this horrible man. He has met with Kostikov, the assassin, and therefore he's colluding with Russia to kill Kennedy. Then that he went to the, the Cuban consulate, and there uh, he uh, did the same thing. He talked to these people, and he made sure he did everything he could to get his visas. Now, here's, here's the funny part. When they turned him down, the, the media today and, and people like the History Channel are saying, well, here's what happened. When Russia and Cuba decided they, uh, even though they encouraged him and were supporting him, they withdrew their support, and Oswald, on his own, decided to kill Kennedy anyway. How about that? That's what they're doing. Now, here is the crux of it all. We, uh, I have, this is evidence, and it's backed up by Marina Oswald herself. In this case, uh, pretty good evidence. Pat, little Patrick Kennedy uh, died about three months before the assassination. This little baby was born to the Kennedys and had hyaline lung disease, and he was fighting for his life. Poor Jackie had a cesarean section, and she didn't even get to see her newborn baby. She, she was recovering from that when they had to fly the baby somewhere else, and the president went with his young son. And as the baby's life slipped away, and he held on to his little fingers until uh, the tears running down his face, and then the baby was dead, he stood up. He went into a closet right there, the broom closet, closed the door, and they could all hear Kennedy weeping. 
and crying so loud you could hear him uh, even down the hall, just crying to God and and uh, so heartbroken. Now, we who were close to the Kennedys in that the a uh, lot of information was coming through Bobby Kennedy and others uh, against Marcello and so on. If you read the books, you'll see what I'm talking about. Lee had this information, and Marina said this. She said, when Lee told her that little Patrick Kennedy was dead, he broke down and cried. And Lee on the phone to me, when he talked to me, he began to weep and said, this man now has even lost, again, another one of his babies, and he was crying. Do you think that Lee Oswald could possibly have shot Kennedy under such circumstances? Now, I'm going to go back to Francis Martello when Lee Oswald was handing out those pamphlets, and that was allowing um, the FBI and others to track down potential spies, Castro spies, and at least, at least a few of them were caught and sent back. It protected our project and others who were against Castro in New Orleans. And at this time, when Lee was arrested in a stunt, you can read about it in Me and Lee, they, uh, Martello only knew this man a few hours, but he was impressed with Lee's uh, ability to, to uh, keep a good humor. Lee said that he they pinched him and they were really mean to him after he was arrested because, uh, and I said, oh, that's awful. He said, well, no, honey, think about this. After all, they think I'm a communist and they're just doing their duty. They're not going to treat me nice. He said that, they, that uh, the jailers, when it was time for him to eat, they, they reached down and scooped up a bunch of dead roaches and dirt from the side of the uh, wall there and put it on top of his food and gave it to him. And Martello was present when Lee said, ah, roach a la mode, and wasn't mad at them or anything. Martello knew that Lee just wasn't the kind of person who could impetuously shoot the president. And he is on record as saying, I would put my head on a chopping block that he was incapable of shooting Kennedy. And I, of course, feel the same way. You've got all this information. You knew Lee personally. You believe that he yes. was he was innocent. You've got so many other people that are in the know and understand this. Why do you think this is still a thing? I mean, is there ever going to be any document that you believe will be released that will ever exonerate Lee completely from this case? Well, not, not on purpose, after all. If they do that, what it proves is that Lyndon Johnson, who was also implicated, and, and others, that uh, a coup d'etat occurred, and that means that the government that went in was Ill illegal. And, of course, this is a national security incident, uh, issue, I think, that we're really talking about, because if they groomed new others to take their place. For example, Gerald Ford became president. Who was he? He was on the Warren Commission. I mean, he's the one that that moved the bullet hole in Kennedy's back up more than five inches into the neck. It, and he even confessed to it before he died. And yet he becomes president. These people did get their rewards. George Bush was uh, knew about all this. Wait, wait, go, go back to that real quickly. Uh, where is, yeah. is there any official documentation saying that Ford uh, altered oh, yes. information uh, and you, documents? So you can Google it. It was in all the newspapers. He said he did it for this, the, the, uh, uh, just to stop controversy, okay? Because actually that bullet hole was so low that it could not have come from the Texas School Book Depository window. The angle was too low. He had to move it up, or you, and you couldn't have also the magic bullet theory. You can't have the bullet going upwards to go out of the throat if it was from the back. It had to go through the neck. But the problem with that, as I said, I have a degree in forensic anthropology, and I have medical anthropology, 
and forensics. And when you look, look at the physiology, look at, look at uh, the bone, the bone structure. The bullet cannot go through the neck bone and, and, and exit through the, the, the larynx area there, as they claim, because it would have been deflected by bone. It is bogus and false. And nevertheless, if you shoot him in the back, it's, the bullet cannot go upward and exit the throat. So Cheryl Ford lied. You can Google it anytime you want. It's right there in all the newspapers. All right, we'll look for that, and maybe I'll have uh, Mike throw up a link for one of those news stories if we can locate it. We've only got a few minutes left together here, Judith, right. and I want to make sure that uh, we get a chance right. yeah. to, to clear up a couple of your other points. Was there anything that was really released at this point that you feel did show that this was a conspiratorial thing and not just a, well, a lone we shooter? Well, had something released by Patoti. Uh, this is a very interesting thing. It says that the Surgeon General came out with a report saying that Lee Oswald had been shot. I mean, Lee Oswald basically couldn't have made the shots because the shots were determined to have come from the front. And in the course of the Pruder film, you can see it back and to the left, you know the shot came from the front and Lee Oswald is stationed behind. It's illogical. And it, it's right there in black and white in the print um, that the, the, they reported that the Surgeon General said that. We don't have the Surgeon General's report himself, his own personal report. But we have enough people talking about it who are important. They wouldn't have lied about such a thing. So there we have it. That has come out that the shots came from the front that killed Kennedy. Lee Oswald did not kill Kennedy. You you do understand some of the skepticism from outsiders, right, that you, you do have some skin in the game. This is a man you loved. And sometimes we can look past glaring, obvious oh, issues. It's love. it's love, don't you see? I don't ask any time any fees for speaking i lost my position teaching i have to live overseas i move every 90 days i have not had a home for 10 years people help me i do not take one penny for the book sales they all go to run the conference i never have taken any money from this it's not for sale this story is not for sale i've been offered money and i didn't take it i even was offered that they make a film of this they said, look, just we'll do you this wonderful love story, but in the end we'll say he lied to you and that he shot Kennedy. And that's how, how tragic that was for you. And I said, are you kidding? So I've never allowed that particular film that they wanted to film to be created. And I won't. And I'll stand in a chicken suit on the corner of Hollywood and Vine if anybody tries, again, to connect my name with Lee Oswald that, that uh, he fooled me or something like that. It's the most, we loved each other passionately and that's why i'm doing this for him all right i I've, i'm always fascinated by your stories and uh, visits with you i hope that you get a lot of success with the new conference it's the fifth annual jfk conference november 17th 18th and 19th three full days it's going to be at the crown plaza hotel dealey plaza it's a registry you can get all the information at jfk dallas conference.com that's jfk dallas conference.com the new book kennedy and oswald the big picture is available make sure you check that out and a special thank you again to judith very baker for the last hour fascinating thank you thank you thank you always for your kindness what are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. 
We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. When you wake up, it's a new morning. The sun is shining, it's a new morning. What is this all about? No, today is, uh, it's been seven years since he passed away. Is that right? Yeah. And drank he keeps himself. up on all that stuff. You know when all these people die. Oh, he drank yeah. himself to death. Yeah, that's yep. right. I do remember that. Jerry Rafferty. Yep. You never hear of Irish guys drinking themselves to death. Thank you very much. Great to be here. <laughs> I think he was Scottish, but same difference. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> same difference. I think you're right. I think he was Scottish. Uh, another example, ladies and gentlemen, of why I cannot stand politicians, whether they be on the left, on the right, certainly on the far left and the far right. I, I just I don't understand them at all. Attorney General Jeff Sessions has rescinded an Obama-era policy that paved the way for legalized marijuana to flourish in states across the country, creating new confusion about enforcement and use just three days after a new legislation law went into effect in California. President Donald Trump's top law enforcement official announced the change today. Instead of the previous lenient federal enforcement policy, Sessions' new stance will instead let federal prosecutors where marijuana is legal decide how aggressively to enforce longstanding federal law prohibiting it. Remember when the whole idea was the states would come first and the feds would come second? I do. Remember that? How it was supposed to be that the states would decide? There you go. That's Andy hitting the bong right there. All you know, the that's time. just how he behaved. All the time. Ooh, Alex is here. I mom am. Is also here. Oh, mom also came. In. Sorry, I so was. So mom's coming in too. I was stuck in the parking lot waiting for this construction worker that looked exactly like the cake boss to get out of my way for like a year, and so I finally Didn't got happen. to. I finally got to park. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yep. And and, and your mother just got here too, so she'll sit down in a second. Well, she's now, got a far the, far way to travel to get there, so I get it. Yeah, she's fine. It's not a problem. Sessions' plan drew immediate strong objection from Republican Senator Cory Gardner of Colorado, one of eight states that have legalized marijuana for recreational use. Gardner said in a tweet that the Justice Department has trampled on the will of the voters in Colorado and other states. He said the action would contradict what Sessions had told him before the Attorney General was confirmed and that he was prepared to take all steps necessary to fight the steps, uh, including holding up confirmation of Justice Department nominees. Now, here's i got to make this very, very clear to, to our listeners on uh, Terrestrial. As well, because most most of the digital listeners know what, what how, kind of how I am. 
But things are new enough at uh, you know WBHR in St. Cloud and KVBR in Brainerd and certainly at KDAL AM and FM in Duluth. I don't smoke pot. I don't want to smoke pot. I have no interest, as a matter of fact, in sativa. My uh, interest would be in indica because it helps me sleep. So when I go to Vegas to do the two shows there, I do 10 milligrams of indica. It helps me sleep very, very well. So I have no interest in getting high, but nothing, well, you know, nothing works better for me because I don't want to take, I don't take prescription drugs any longer. I used to. I, I used to take trazodone and alprazolam to sleep, and now... When I go to places like Vegas where it's legal, I take the 10 milligrams of uh, indica, which is the one that calms you down, and I sleep very, very well. So Sessions' argument is this, that he doesn't want to see people smoking pot and getting violent. When's the last time you saw somebody smoke pot and get violent? (laughs) All the time. Look, I don't want anybody, here, here's what I'm saying. I don't want any, like, let's go with teachers or doctors or nurses. We'll, we'll start with them. Firefighters and cops. I don't want to see them smoking pot and on the job, much in the same way that I don't want to see them drinking alcohol when they're on their job. I don't want a teacher to go out to lunch and have a joint at lunch and come back in and teach our children. In the same way, I don't want them to go out at lunch and have a few drinks and then come back to class. <laughs> you know, that's not what I'm looking at here. That makes sense to you, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, but this whole idea that, that he doesn't want to see people get violent. I don't want anybody, look, just like not drinking and driving, I don't want anybody getting high on marijuana and driving either. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, first of all, uh, did you see the stock market today? Yes, 25000 Through the roof. Oil is back up to $62 a barrel. North Dakota has got to be jumping through the roof. Uh, with happiness, because i got to believe they're going to be pumping oil again like there's no tomorrow. Uh, the stock market's going through the roof. The job numbers are the best they've been in years and years. Everything's looking good, so why don't we do this, uh, their Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Why don't we cut off some tax revenue? They were talking in California alone. In California alone, a billion dollars in tax revenue from recreational marijuana sales. And the first thing they do is try to squash that. Why? Can anybody explain that to me? No. Apparently not. (laughs) Apparently not. In deciding which marijuana activities to prosecute under these laws with the department's finite resources, that's exactly the point. You have finite resources. Prosecutors should follow the well-established principles that govern all federal prosecutions by considering the seriousness of the crime and its impact on the community. Sessions wrote in a one-page memo to the nation's federal prosecutors. The problem you have there is that sounds like a good idea, but when you give someone power over someone else, they will abuse it almost every time. So if you think they're going to go, oh, we'll just look the other way. No, if I feel powerful, I'm going to try to run right over you because that's what human beings do. I don't know why we do that, but we do. I think it's an idiotic move. I think it's a really idiotic move. I would have assumed that within the next 18 months that marijuana, that cannabis, I shouldn't, you know, sativa and indica would be legal for recreational use. And for I, I, I've never tried to apply for uh, medical marijuana in the state of Minnesota or in Florida where it's legal. Uh, you know, medical is not not recreational. 
I've never tried because you got to jump through about six billion hoops to get it done. And who needs that? You know, um, you're you're cutting off a lot of tax money. And I would say this: I don't know a whole lot of people who smoke pot anymore because that's a whole different deal. I know some, but but not a whole lot. Um, you're, they get away from drinking a lot of alcohol and getting behind the wheel. Uh, they do a lot of one hits, and I don't want anybody driving when they're high on on geef either. That's not what I'm looking at, and I think I made myself very clear on that. But it just these politicians, every time they can screw something up, it seems like they do, you know. And it's not just Republicans, and it's not just Democrats. It's all of them. I invited here in Minneapolis and St. Paul, basically in St. Paul. Uh, the new mayor of St. Paul to call into the KQ Morning Show this morning, and you're more than welcome to call into this show as well, Mayor Carter, Melvin Carter III, who brought up uh, that the national anthem is an ode to slavery, right? Once again, a politician, the first chance they get to just jump all over America, they do it. Now, I got some bad news for you, Mr. Carter. When the national anthem was written, Minnesota was not part of the United States, Okay. It was not part of the United States. So when we became part of the United States, that song came along with it. But that uh, phrase was taken out by then. What phrase? Oh, I can, I'll have to bring it up for you. It talks about, as a matter of fact, I do want to bring that up if I can find it again. I assume I could probably find it here somewhere. But I will close with this as far as Jeff Sessions is concerned. He's an idiot. 99% of politicians are in it for the money. They're in it for their own benefit, their own gain, and you disgust me. You really do. You have a chance here to take some of the tax burden off the hardworking people out there and give them a chance to, you know, back off. And I know what you're doing here. You know, you know what he's doing? Protecting the drug companies. You do realize that, right? Didn't think about that, but yeah, makes sense. Well, that's the whole deal. It, it, the drug company, I'd like to know what his connection is to drug companies. I don't know. And I think all, all those politicians are connected to drug companies. Oh, you can't let them have recreational marijuana. They're not going to buy our, our sleep medication. And, my God, if they take Indica, they're, gonna, they're not going to need my uh, anxiety medication. They're not gonna... It's all about business. It's all about money. You know, when, when he's no longer attorney general, because he's probably going to be fired within the next year because everybody hates him. Uh, well, they do, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, nobody likes Jeff Sessions. He's an idiot. <laughs> You know, he's Alabama. They couldn't even straighten that deal out. Uh, and, look, I don't know anything about Alabama. It's a, I've been through northern Alabama, and I've been to Mobile, Alabama, and uh, they're like two different worlds. Northern Alabama is this nice hilly and grassy, and it's this beautiful area. So i got nothing against Alabama, but this this session is just uh, – I saw it today. I was like, why, why are you doing this? Can anyone understand why he would do that? I, I just, uh, God. He's just an All idiot. Right, here we go. He is. He's a moron. Uh, the Melvin Carter the third. And again, I, I, let me make it very clear. I don't know Melvin Carter the third. I I haven't made a judgment on him yet. Whether I do like what he does or I don't like what he does, I don't like at all what he did during his inaugural speech. Because uh, one, the first thing we do, why don't we just pee all over America? Why don't we do that? That's the first thing we do as as the mayor of St. Paul. During his inaugural speech Tuesday, St. Paul Mayor Melvin Carter III said he was honored to have a locally-born musician present his, uh, at his own Central High School to sing the National Anthem with a big caveat. 
We cannot ignore the painful reminder written into our anthem's third verse of just how deeply injustice is rooted in the American tradition. Our national freedom song is an ode to slavery. This is the first order of business for this guy. I read what he's talking about, by the way, and he just uh, he read the word slave and immediately made a bunch of assumptions, but he's wrong. He's wrong. It doesn't mean anything near what he thinks it means. Nope. Here is the phrase. And where is that band who so vauntingly swore that the havoc of war and the battle's confusion, a home and a country, should leave us no more? Their blood was washed out. Their foul, uh, their blood has washed out their foul footsteps pollution. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave. What about slavery did he read in there? Yeah, it uses the word slave. It's referring to uh, colonial slaves of the British who That's correct. fought with them in exchange for their freedom. That's exactly what he was talking about, what, 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 what those words mean. Yeah, but that's not what he decided they meant and then, of course, decided to. Well, this is exciting. Yep. <clears throat> what? To uh, come into this. Well, no, I mean, we're just talking about Jeff Sessions. Uh, Catherine, you just walked in. Jeff Sessions has just decided that he wants the federal authorities to overlook all the states that uh, have legalized marijuana for recreational use. And basically what he's going to try to do is squash the whole thing. Why? Uh, for no reason. He just thinks what he said was he didn't want to see, uh, like with the use of alcohol, he didn't want to see people getting uh, violent. Hmm. Now, all the people you've seen get really violent on Geef, you know. Zero people. Well, there yeah. is a link between weed and violence, but... There is? What is yep. it? Yep. Yeah, um, what is it? It's, well, basically, it just people who smoke weed are also more likely to commit violent crime. Well, that's shocking, because mm. I would... Most people I know, and I don't... I hardly know anybody. They're all like, hey, man. Well, if you think about cool. every gangster in the country, they're all smoking weed. But so probably, they all drink that like doesn't help. Yeah, probably with other things, though, wouldn't you think? Yeah, they're drinking and doing uh. cocaine, and they're doing heroin and everything else, too. I don't, think, doing it I don't think among that kind of community, cocaine and heroin are that big. No. Oh. I think it's pretty much just uh, weed, alcohol. Sometimes something like codeine, they'll put codeine in, uh, you know, some... Purple drink. drink. Yeah, exactly. But that's pretty mellow. It's like, I don't... It's not anything like heroin. Andy, do you you look at the Boston Tea Party and the fact that they, you know, they... The new one about, or the old one? The, <laughs> the old one. Because there's the Tea Party. And, having, yeah, not that Tea Party. I'm having my own personal Tea Party right now as I'm drinking Not tea. that Tea Party. Uh, when you look at them, they, they were not just uh, talking about the tea tax. They were talking about... Like you said, the the colonial uh, colonial people, rule, right? They just didn't want to be overseen, and they were being taxed to death, not just on tea, but on everything. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't like necessarily about tea. No, that it was, was not just, about tea. That was just like the avenue they decided to make into a thing. But everybody thinks it's all about the tea. Yeah, they do. Right. But that was the slavery that they referred to in the national anthem. You know, holding us slaves under your severe taxation. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't about African slavery. No. Well, you know what? I don't think at that time African slavery had even started in the U.S., had it? Um, in, in the early 17th century? Well, they're trying to say that, that it's been around I for 400 years, but... Well, well that just, was about 400 years ago. You know, I mean, I guess politicians always have to err on the side of ultra-sensitivity yeah, they sure do. and 
that's probably the best thing that you can do as a politician. Right. Sadly. Yeah. Uh, some academics, including Robin Blackburn, a British historian who has published books on colonial slavery in the Americas, believe Key's use of the word slave refers to the core of colonial marines, runaway slaves who fought with the British in exchange for freedom. That's what he was talking about. You know, well, don't confuse us with facts. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Really. Look, Melvin Carter, I got nothing against you, but that was way out of line to include that in your inauguration as, as the mayor of St. Paul. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful, no question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer. For <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. be playing that song, man. Well, since Prince is singing it, it's okay. Yeah, I do, I do want to read both those again because there are two different visions of what was going on here. Some academics, including Robin Blackburn, a British historian who has published books on colonial slavery in the Americas, believe Key's use of the word slave refers to the core of colonial marines, runaway slaves who fought with the British in exchange for freedom. Jason Johnson, an associate professor of politics at Baltimore's Morgan State University, pointed out in a recent article for The Root, an online publication on African-American culture for which he is the politics editor, that Key himself served as a lieutenant in the 1815 Battle of Bladensburg, where his troops were badly beaten by a battalion of colonial Marines. So uh, there are two different views of what that's all about. But my reading of that is uh, not the same as Melvin Carter III's, I will tell you that. And and, and let's point out once more, and then I'll let it go, I promise, but it, it just... At your inauguration, the first thing you want to talk about is that. Well, he probably ran on some sort of a platform of I'm diversity sure and did. fairness. Yeah. That's not diversity and it's not fairness. Well, that's what their platform is. And that's what they think. The progressive platform is the exact same meme over and over again. Well, I mean, I was is. walking down um, to this doctor's office today and on a realtor's uh, bus bench, mm-hmm. it was like... Um, 
honesty, integrity, diversity. Diversity? Yeah. Of sales? Just diversity, just, just the diversity word diversity. Yep, that's, I mean, that's diversity what people look for. They becomes, look for the yep, word diversity, absolutely. and that makes them like, yeah, that activates a little routine in their brain that makes them feel good. Hold on, Jude is doing something yeah, back is. there. Judy, get out of there. Get out of here. No wire <laughs> eating. He's out eating the wire. food over there or something. Judy, wires are not food. There's no food over You're there. You're going to disconnect us at all. Okay. So anyway. We'll, all heck will break yeah. loose. I will move on from there, but I want you to know that when I was a uh, dishwasher at the garden room at Donaldson's when I was 16 years old, I was a very diverse dishwasher. I washed dishes for people of all colors. Well, I'm proud of you. What a joke. And has, I mean, seriously. As you should. And I'll make my last point once again. Minnesota was not even part of the United States when that song was written, so calm down. And that wasn't Prince. It was, who was that? Who did the slave song? They that was the Stones. Well, who, who did the Stones? Stones. Yeah. Stones? Why did I have to say Oh, Alex is there. Hi. Alex got in. Hello. She had a little battle with, who'd you, who'd you say it was? The undercover boss? No. Cake, cake boss. boss. Well, cake boss. He looked what? so much like cake boss. I was stuck in the back corner of the parking lot waiting oh. for this big truck to get out of my way. And the guy that was driving it looked exactly like cake boss. And he wouldn't get out of my way so I could park. I was just stuck there sitting, waiting for him. He seriously maneuvered his vehicle like 30 times. And it, was, it wasn't even that oh. big of a truck, really. Like, he had plenty of space. And I had nowhere to go. But he looked so much like Cake Boss. Like the Austin Powers hallway thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same story. Yes. <laughs> I, was like, exactly. I was like, can you just exactly it. figure it out? <laughs> All right, so moving on from, from uh, an African-American Democrat to a white Republican, uh, Joseph Steinhauser sent me at the Tweet of God. You guys know about the Tweet of God, right? Nope. Mm-hmm. Yes. On Twitter. At the Tweet of God. Uh, good. Um, here it is. There is no wedgie too atomic for Jeff Sessions. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. He's just another tight-ass white <gasps> Republican. What? Tight-ass. You can say that. There's nothing wrong with that. So, look, I don't, like I said, I don't know Melvin Carter and I don't know Jeff Sessions, but I think you're both way out of line with your, your opinions on things and how you'd like to move forward. And this is how you want to begin. Boy, I can't wait to see just how wonderful both of you do as we move forward. It's just, once again, politicians getting in the way. Well, Don't you think? They have to. It's just like any other job. They have to have a reason to exist. Yeah. If ever, you know? if they achieved everything they had set out to do, then they would no longer have a job. Well, yeah. And so and they, they have to right. keep on making yeah. up things to. Yes. And yeah. the easiest way to make sure that everybody likes you is to make them afraid and that you're going to fix their problems. And that's very true. Yeah. Scare the people. That's a big part of Democrat and Republican lives. That was Let's pretty much Obama's people. platform. It was, yeah. He scared the people. He made everyone afraid of a race war, and Bush made everyone afraid of WMDs. Yeah. That's true. Bill Clinton made everyone afraid of him. I would like to point out to the Pioneer Press, TwinCities.com, I want to thank you so much. As I read that article, I, I scrolled down, and uh, there's an article about how bad is the frostbite this season. Oh. Look at that. Oh, oh, my God. God. Well, I told you about the uh, customer we had at TCF, right? No. Um, he had no hands, so that was, yeah. Because it was, it was always fun uh, 
yeah, having him try to deposit his paycheck or whatever it was. So I asked my boss, because he came in a lot, and I was like, well, what happened to his hands? And she said that um, one day he got to his house, um, was unlocking his door, uh, fumbled his keys, passed out drunk, oh, and no more hands. Oh. Imagine Yikes. being one step from warmth and losing your hands because you oh. were too drunk. That might be a wake-up call for that's, some people. Yeah, that's pretty uh, pretty horrendous. Yeah, those fingers look like legs. They're so swollen. <clears throat> oh, he's lucky he still has them. Oh, my God. Look at the look at the pus on those. You guys have to look at TwinCities.com, the front page oh, okay. of TwinCities.com. That's a pus. I don't need oh. to. That's like yeah. when somebody oh. says, oh, my God, this smells horrible. Smell it. It's like, no, <laughs> I'm okay. Give it a whiff. I'm good. Well, that's the old deal. This tastes terrible. Here, take a bite. Yeah. Well, Ralph Basham said that he, he thought he got a little frostbite dealing with just getting his keys into oh, really? the lock or something like that. Last, yeah. Well, but yeah, Ralph's a candy so asshole. You know, that's uh, you know, that's just the way it is. But I mean, we we got this whole situation now, and as I move on from another newspaper website. Uh, it's they're all going after each other and, and encouraging people to hate one another in America. I talked to a very we're going to have him on tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Uh, Solomon uh, Grundy. Yeah, Solomon Grundy. That's a, uh, no Giordano. Solomon Gregorio. Yeah, oh, Giordano. okay. It's not Giordano. No, no, no. Giorgio. His name is, is Giorgio. Yeah, his name Giordano's is Solomon Pizza. Giorgio. Yeah. Uh, nicest guy in the world. Uh, from Ethiopia, born in Sudan. Moved to St. Louis, Missouri when he was a little kid with his parents. They didn't care for St. Louis. They moved to Fresno and then eventually to Seattle. And I asked him, he's, a, he's an, uh, obviously black, he's from Ethiopia, about his take on why Americans all hate one another so much. And he just, he agreed with everything. It's all about money. It's all about the, get the people at the top making money uh, off our hatred for one another. I mean, you, you just look at everybody, you know, Twitter feeds and Facebook feeds. It's all about hating somebody. It is. It absolutely and being yeah. afraid of the other side. Yep. It's about fear and hatred. And it's just disgusting. I hope everybody wakes up and just, you know, no, that, if it doesn't, if, if people wake up and it doesn't work anymore, they'll have to come up with another way of doing things. If someone is still like that by the time they're like 40-ish, then they're pretty much ruined. Did you hear Lifetime Fitness, um, which is a big franchise yes. in Minneapolis? They're love- turning off the news. Yep, they're can't. like, it's just too negative. We don't yeah. want it in our, in our place anymore. I haven't watched the news voluntarily in probably ever. No, I don't I, know, yeah, I don't know, I don't know I why you would I think do that. I think that's a pretty awesome thing to do. It's like, no, we're just not going to listen to it anymore. How about that? That'd be good. Yeah. Uh, I just love it. Well, here's it. I'm not going to read what they are. Who is Mark? Is it Mark Tyson or Mark Thiessen? Anybody know how to say it? It's probably Mark Tyson, don't probably you Probably Tyson. The 10 worst things Trump has done in his first year in office. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. It's just, oh, Let God. Let me count the things. Let me just hate, hate, hate as much as I possibly can. Look, I don't like politicians. I don't hate them. Uh, as a matter of fact, I invited Mayor Carter to come on the morning show this morning, and he, he didn't call in, but he may not have heard about it. So I'm not saying he didn't want to call in. Maybe he probably didn't even hear about it. But So I don't hate Melvin Carter, and I don't hate Jeff Sessions. I just think you're a couple of boneheads who made bonehead plays. You know, I've done stupid things in my life, and now I'm saying today you both did something stupid. That doesn't mean I hate you or that I think you should be kicked out of office or, oh, my God, you're the worst human being on earth. When did that, when did we go from I like you to I hate you and there's nothing in between? Um, 
the days of the caveman. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's been that bad forever? Yeah, well, I mean, humans have been killing one another for pretty much the entirety of human history over pretty dumb stuff, so... Yeah, I suppose you're probably right. Well, I mean, look at Ireland for, the like, for like 50 years or whatever it was. Yeah. Just because of a difference in um, religious interpretation. They were bombing each other and such. Come on, Andy, you're the wrong kind of Christian. <clears throat> yeah, that's... I've never understood that dumb. one. Well, in Boston, you live a... You're a townie, you're a Southie, you're all Irish, but you're the wrong kind of Irish. What? People need to be in a tribe, and they need to be at war. Oh, they, it's just, it's a think, human condition. Do you think that is true, that we need to hate one another? Yeah, everyone needs someone to hate, or else they don't feel... Well, hating someone is the easiest way to feel like your existence means something. That's so amazing. So it's like you exist to prevent that other uh, faction from doing whatever they plan to do because they're evil and they must be stopped. What Otherwise, the hell's diversity? Well, I, I could be wrong, but I believe uh, diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War era. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that? It's uh, Anchorman. Anchorman, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Oh, it was Anchorman. Will Ferrell. Yeah. I believe diversity was an old, old wooden ship. <laughs> That's pretty funny, actually. That works for me. So, yeah, I mean, that's the whole deal. We, we just, I see these things coming across uh, the press, uh, whether it be on, on websites or whatever, but, but please do understand, not all of them, there may be a few politicians left that actually want to serve the people, but most of them want to be elected so they can make as much money as they possibly can and end up being, you know, in some cush job for the rest of their lives because they, quote, unquote, served the people. When's the last time you, a politician served the people, do you think? Well, a lot of people would say the Affordable Health Care Act did serve a lot of people. Uh, my, when, I, when I went on Medicare, my uh, premium went from $1,100 a month to it's now $1,700 a month. How did that improve my life? I don't have any idea. So I paid into Medicare my entire well, life. You weren't the person it was supposed to help. <laughs> oh, I'm not? Okay. Nope. So my money just went away. Yep. I don't know, man. That was making just... life more fair for everybody. <clears throat> hey, look, I, you know, I hope everybody does have great health care. But uh, as far as I can tell, now, look, the mentally ill is a different situation. They don't, in a lot of cases. Well, they're also a minority. They are a, a huge very minority. small minority. And, and they don't want health care. They don't, uh, it's a sad, sad thing. Again, for new listeners, my father was mentally ill. He didn't want to go to the hospital, be treated for anything. Yeah, no, they don't think they're ill, so no. why would they get treatment? No, that's the whole problem. So, hey, look, I think health care is a wonderful thing. I think it's far, far too expensive. But once again, once the government got involved in health care providers, their costs went through the roof. Well, health care insurance premiums have been rising for a long time and the thing is the ACA didn't slow that down or stop that or anything. No, a lot of the things that it was supposed to do it did not do. Yeah, it didn't really it I mean any anyone can say it helped me, but the numbers say it didn't do anything. Right. Not in, not on a yeah. in the big picture, which yeah, I, is what matters. Yeah, I know a family of 5 that just uh, just this year it's going their health premiums are going up 25% again. Average healthcare premium, let's see. Uh which over the four years it's been rising, it's 100%. <laughs> it's, 
It's 100%. It's 100% more than That's a lot. See, in the past, since 1999, health care uh, has gone up an average of, let's see, about uh, 70, 80 bucks a year. So, you know, over the past 20 years, that's an additional $1,600 per year on top of what it was before. So, you know, it's not great. Yeah, that's to 2014. I think between 20... When did the Affordable Care Act kick in? Uh, well, it's 20, been a. F- it's been what? It's been a while. Twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen. When was that? I think it was at least four years ago. Yeah, I think it was. 20, well, this one goes 20, to twenty sixteen, and it's still not. Yeah, it's okay. not going down. No, it's, it's not, not going to go down either. It went up nineteen percent since twenty eleven, uh, and inflation went up six percent. So it is. It's rising at a rate about three times out of inflation. So, yeah, I just don't clearly think, we need something that isn't the ACA. I just don't think that a, that that healthcare coverage, health insurance for one person, should cost twenty thousand dollars a year. I think it's outrageous. Yeah. Well, it outrageous. one enormous problem, pun intended, is that obese people cost a lot of money to keep yeah, they alive, and obese people they're. Uh, much uh, greater pop- percent of the population. Well, that's a good, very good point, actually. So That's a really good point. All right, we'll be back. We have a special guest coming up next, correct? We do. All right, we will be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Tom Bernard here with CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Always a pleasure to be with you, Tommy. So you're splitting the tab at lunch, you're pitching in on a gift for a coworker. maybe you got to pay that football pool entry fee, and you need to settle up now? What do you do if you don't have cash on hand? You could use one of those third-party transferring services that comes with fees and takes days, but how secure are they? Why not send money quickly and safely with the click of a button, without the hassle of a middleman? What's the answer, Michael? The X-Chat Gap, brought to you by your local community bank. It's safe, secure, and simple to use. The X-Check app. Simply add a new contact by entering their name, phone number, and email into the app. Enter a dollar amount and then initiate the transfer. To accept the payment, the contact simply enters their bank information through a secure link sent via text or email. X-Check. Safe and simple from my banker, North American Banking Company. A better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Jam. What is that? It's Pharrell Williams. That's 
Fonz Jam. It's Fonz Jam. She loves this song. Fonz Jam. She starts, she hears the song and starts jumping around and dancing. She goes, happy, 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 happy. Oh, yeah, happy. She also likes deedle-eedle-eedle, deedle eedle Yeah, she likes anything <laughs> vaguely musical. No, I mean, I we play a lot of music at our house all the time, but this song comes on and it's like a, that's her song. And speaking so of happy, happy, we have uh, Mr. Larkin's on. Ted Larkin. He, I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, he, he couldn't have come on at a better time because Mr. Larkins, uh, we've been talking this morning about the new mayor of St. Paul. The first thing he does is bring up uh, the problems with uh, race relations in America. At his inauguration, he brings that up. And then we have Jess Sessions talking about, oh, we need to keep a better, closer eye on uh, recreational marijuana because we don't want people getting violent. And we've talked quite a bit in the first two segments of this hour why people want to be so unhappy, why we want to hate one another, I don't. Do you understand that? I No, I don't. First of all, thanks for having me on the, the, the show, Tom. Really, really grateful to be here. And why do people want to be unhappy? I don't know. But there's a. I think we can be happy, and, and I'm here to share that. That's what, that's what it's about. Well, see, now we're talking, and that's why I'm so happy to have you on, actually. <laughs> the book is called Get to Be Happy, Stories and Secrets of Loving the Sheet Out of Life. It's S-H asterisk T. It is. Uh, he talks about uh, his get-to principle that helps people find gratitude in even the toughest things in life they experience because they get to do them. I love your take on this thing. You get to have breakfast. You get to have lunch. You get to have dinner. You get to sleep in a bed. Uh, yeah, you earned yeah. it, but you get to do it. Yep, yep, we do. I think I think what what a lot of people and it's kind of in our culture. We just say, "Oh, I have to, I have to, I gotta, I gotta," and it's just you know. I mean, it's fair enough. That's what we say. But if you just shift over and say, "Wait a second, I get to," and it really came to me when when I was doing the dishes one day. Oh, I have to do the dishes. I'm like, "No, wait a second, I get to." You know, many people are starving to death on the planet, or just here in the, the U.S. They're having challenging times, but I get to do the dishes. I just had food. I mean, I've got running water. It's really just shifting into this place of appreciation and and compassion for others and appreciation for what I have. It's really a powerful, simple, but very powerful tool to use. Uh, I will tell you, you couldn't have come on at a, a better time. Ted Larkin's our special guest again. The book is called "Get to Be Happy: Stories and Secrets of Loving the Sheet Out of Life." That's not the word, but that's the one I'm going to use for the interview. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I don't know if uh, if there is a God. I think uh, that God reached out to you and said, you should call Tom because he's kind of crabby. I love it. I'm here <laughs> for you, Tom. <laughs> I'm here for you. Honestly. I, I just – one of the problems that I, that I have to get beyond is our politicians, and I'm talking Democrats and Republicans. I'm talking all of mm-hmm. them. They will mm-hmm. do anything to line their own pockets, and they will do anything – to make themselves look better and get us to hate one another. I don't get mm. it. I don't understand no. it. No. No, I wish I, I wish I understood what the value was of anybody saying anything like that. I mean my view my viewpoint Tom, is look, we're all just we're all just human beings on the planet and we're all just we're just trying to find happiness during this brief moment that we're alive. And why can't we help each other do that? You know, that's that should be our main goal is that just support each other in in finding some peace and happiness. And it's not saying that there aren't challenging times. We all have some really, there's grief, there's a bunch of stuff going on, it's tough. But, you know, the, the ability and the, and the willingness to say, wait a second, you know, let's, let's just step into the, the viewpoint of, I get to do this and just feel, feel a little bit better about ourselves. And that's, that's what I, I, that's what yeah. I wish for everybody. Ted, I tell you what, I, I sit around, I do a morning show, 
We got to book you on the morning show, as a matter of fact, uh, as well, because I love what you're talking about here. But oh, I was sitting you. there this morning doing that show, and then I do this afternoon show with the family. Yeah. It's uh, both a digital show and it's syndicated yeah. uh, on terrestrial radio. So, and I thought that very thing. I I, I did not know you were going to be on today, but by coincidence, and it does happen in life. Oh, it I, does. I, I thought, yep. I, I thought right in the middle of that show, I was going, man, this is what I get to do for a living. This awesome. is not working. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right? 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 You get to do that, Tom. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not digging yeah. ditches. I'm not out there breaking my back. No. I'm not freezing to death out there tying iron or no. something like that. I did when I was no. in, uh, a younger man. Yeah, I don't yeah. have to do it anymore. I get to do this. No. So I understand yeah. exactly what you're talking about. That's great. Um, I do want to read this paragraph because I think it's a, it's wonderful. The secret to my yeah. happiness started during my high school days. Yes, drugs were involved. Well, good, Ted. That's good. Good to know, Ted. Continued through hitchhiking across the country, through the suicide of my girlfriend, through bartending in many cities around the country, and I moved to Japan. I lived there for nine years, helping start a $500 million business, including a Larkins, my last name, line of product, finding enlightenment and meditating in Zen temples in the mountains of Hiroshima, meeting uh, Mother Teresa in Calcutta. So was she nice to you? She was. She's one special woman. (laughs) (laughs) Not much to say. Look, I met her. She put her hands on my hands and just looked at me and said, bless you, child. And I just held her gaze there for a moment. I was like, wow, here's a woman that is, you know, a human that is just doing such good for the planet. It was quite beautiful, quite a beautiful moment in my life. There's no doubt about it. So let's not forget, I, I did talk about the suicide of Ted's girlfriend. Uh, uh, meeting Mother Teresa in Calcutta, partying with Bon Jovi, experienced the death of my business partner, then the loss of my daughter, all of the life lessons that come with the following statement, I get to do this. You've been through hell, Ted, and you still found a way to say, I get to live life as a human being. Yes, yes. And I'm, look, I feel, I guess I feel lucky that I have the viewpoint of I get to, that I've, I've learned yep. to step into that. And even, look, Tom, even with the the... You know, I've had great times. You know, partying with Bon Jovi in Tokyo was amazing. It was amazingly fun. It was beautiful to meet Mother Teresa in Calcutta. And yet, at the same time, you know, my daughter died at birth, and it was tough. But, but, but stepping out of, oh, I have to experience that and, see, and, and living in that, that grief, I was able to step out and, and honor her path through life, whatever that was, who am I to judge that, and really say, wow, I get to, I get to have been her dad for nine months. And I get to honor that soul, and I get to share with others who are also grieving the, 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 the viewpoint of stepping out and saying, wow, okay, it's, it's, it wasn't pretty, it wasn't easy, we grieve, but we all do. And so can we step out and come back into giving love back to the world? Because that's what the world needs. They don't, the world doesn't need us to stay in our grieving. And I, will never, I want to be first to say, I don't judge anybody for however long they grieve. And that might go on for years. And, and sure, you know, look, sure. we all have it. But the, the, the sooner you can step out, and, and really come back to the world and give love because that's what the world needs and give happiness. I think that's a, a, a great thing, and that's what I, I try to do, and I've been able to find that with my daughter. I love speaking about her. She's a wonderful part of our lives. That was 13 years ago. And, and here I am caring about, you know, being happy. That's pretty cool. It is a wonderful thing, and, and our daughter, Catherine, and I, uh, our son Andy's on the show, our daughter Alex is on the show, and Hello. friends on the show, and Hi we there. were just talking about, uh, we were just talking about the fact that uh, Alex has a 19-month-old daughter, and oh, she congratulations. Hears, Thank you. She, yeah. she hears happy music, and she dances around, and uh, just says, happy, 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 happy. That's I the love kind of that. Joy. Can we carry that through into our adult years? Yes. 
I'm, I'm living proof that, that you can be happy. It's not that you're not going to go through challenging times. I think that's the nature of, of being alive on the planet. But I do believe that we can shift out and deliberately, you know, it, when you smile, when you deliberately smile, there are endorphins that are released in your body and you feel joy. That's a physical thing that happens. And so if you just are deliberate about smiling, then you will create joy. And, and the way to, one way to do that is say, wow, I get to do this. And you smile. And then your life changes. It, it slowly does that. If you make that a habit in your life, then yes, even as an adult, even during the challenging times, you can create that. And I know people that have read, a lot of people that have read my book are just, they come away saying, wow, I get to do this. And there's a lot of, a lot of great things happening from it. Is that kind of uh, follow the fake it till you make it kind of philosophy (laughs) where it's like, you know, I mean, seriously, a lot of, I've heard psychologists will tell somebody who's depressed to run around and uh, run around to go (laughs) around and smile, smile at people and and say positive things. And that, that will change your brain chemistry. It does. I think that's very true. But one thing I, I think is important is that we don't um, dis, dis, you know, dis on the pain or the suffering or whatever that you may be feeling. Sure. You know, I think it's important no. to feel that first, right? And then, but to your point, yes. And then smile deliberately. Fake it if you have to. But you can pull yourself out. As a human, we have that ability to pull ourselves out of whatever funk we're in and smile and be happy. I believe, as Tom, you mentioned if there's a God, I believe that's... What, what we're here to do is to, to pull ourselves into this, this space of being happy. It's not utopian or Pollyanna. It's really just, you know, if feeling what you're feeling, experiencing that, and then stepping into, wow, I get to do this. I, I have great compassion for others that don't, and I have great appreciation for where, what I do have. It's really beautiful. And smile. And there you go. And then you're in that moment. And I think that's the key. It brings you back to the present moment, which for most of us at this moment, right now, we're, we can be happy. We can Oh, there's no question about that. One of my favorite stories is I was at at a wedding a few years ago in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, is probably the least friendly city I've ever been in in my entire (laughs) life. But this one wonderful thing happened. I'm in Rittenauer Square, and they have this this iron fence around the, the little park there. And I'm walking down the street, and it's a gorgeous summer day, and there's a cop leaning against the fence. And as I walked by, I looked over, uh, and I said, beautiful day, officer. And she said, yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Oh, oh. <laughs> See, there you go. That's her See, take, and that's go. my take, you know? Yeah, and you know, you could have said, I suppose you could come back and say, well, you get to have that attitude, too, and smile and walk away. There you go. You get to have that attitude. That hey, yeah. if, if you're yeah. something, you know, maybe your dog bit you this morning and you're not in a good yeah. mood. You get to be. You get yeah. to do that. Well, that's the key. And I think what, as soon as you say that, even during the crappy times when you're feeling like she may be feeling or what have you, if you just say, "Wow, I get to I get to feel nervous or I get to feel angry," and as soon as you acknowledge that, then you automatically just, "Oh, wow, I get to do that." Well, do I want to keep doing that or not? And it really becomes a choice. You're no longer saying I have to or I got it. You get out of that victim viewpoint and you step into really being in charge. And you can continue doing what you're doing, but you do feel more powerful because you're you're making that choice. I think it's a wonderful idea. And everybody, I am assuming, is very, very happy they get to talk to you. Thank you. I I love talking to people. And, and yeah, it's really been. Listen, I wrote the book over the last year and a half during my four-hour train commute. 
uh, to Hollywood from Southern Cal- here in Southern California. And, uh, you know, and then I've taken the book out full time as of November 1st. And I'm just having I'm having a blast. And it's not that I don't have challenging times. Hey, being a first time author is, is uh, you know, is what it is. And I get to say, wow, I get to experience all of this as well. And, I've, you know, just get some great feedback also really helps. You know, a lot of the reviews and things on Amazon, I think people really, really enjoy the message and the journey that they get to live about their life by reading about mine. I think that's very true. I think people do want to be happy. I think they want to be comfortable in their lives, as comfortable as they can be in any case. Mm-hmm. They want mm-hmm. to be happy, but they're told every day on so. Do you think social media has had a horrible influence on people being happy? Gosh, I think, yeah, I think social media is a tough one because it really disseminates everything out to everybody. Yep. And, and, you're, and you're right. I think it is for people that want to be negative and people that are, are, don't have the awareness to want to be happy, I think it feeds on that. But I also believe that you can, you can use it for, for positive. And if you make the choice to be happy, then you can find some really great stuff, such as your show here. You know, it's, 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 it's out there, and I think that really adds a lot to – it can add a lot to people's lives. I think it's a wonderful thing. Uh, Ted, I'm going to reach out to you and, yeah. and book you on the morning show as well at KQRS. I'd love to talk to you more on the morning uh, show as well. It would be honored to be on with you, Tom. It would be really great. The book is called Get to Be Happy, Stories and Secrets to Loving the Sheet Out of Life. Ted <laughs> Larkins, L-A-R-K-I-N-S. Ted, thank you so much for your time. Wonderful, wonderful subject. Very, very glad to be here. Thanks so much for your time, Tom. Thank you, Ted. Ted Larkins, ladies and gentlemen. See, now, now, that's a nice way to wrap up the hour right there. Absolutely. We got politicians acting like jerks or just... I and I shouldn't even say acting like jerks. Do they? Do you think they really believe that, or are they just trying to go out there and go, look, look how I'm fighting for the people? Yeah, I, I just think that it's just become the the business as usual. It's just how it is. It's just how it is. Yep, and I think people are getting sick of it, and that's you know why health clubs are turning off the news and. Yeah, I do want to get back to that point because you were talking about that lifetime fitness, which is all. It's all over. Are they all over America now? You know what? I don't know. They've expanded it to a great extent, and I don't know exactly where they are, but they're huge in the state of Minnesota. They will not play CNN, Fox, MSNBC, none of them. You cannot watch it while you're working out at Lifetime. I couldn't agree with their decision more. I think it's brilliant. It I is. really do. Thank you again to Ted Larkins. Enjoy the sheet out of life. <laughs> Uh, I get to. That's the whole deal. We'll be back. Hour two coming right up. Tom Bernard Show. There he is, ladies and gentlemen. He's been dead for how long? A couple of years now. Yep, two years. Yeah, it's going quick. Is it going to be three years in April? It is. Wow. Is two in April. April oh, it is? Two, two according to Rock two, Genius, two Mike April. Molina. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it's three. April 21st, 2016. Rock Genius, Mike Molina? <laughs> is that what I heard? Just trying to see if anybody was listening. <laughs> well, it all worked out in the end. Uh, is our guest ready to go? Yep. Tim Henschel. How you doing, Tim? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing extremely well. As a matter of fact, HotelPlanner.com CEO Tim Henschel is happy to come and talk about go to the Super Bowl for less. Well, I tell you what, Tim, so far, all the stuff that I've seen about the Super Bowl being in Minneapolis, Minnesota, although uh, Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski said, it's really cold here 
in Mindianapolis. <laughs> Mindianapolis. Okay, well, you know, that was close, but... Uh, uh, there is already a 5% increase in hotel bookings nationwide in 2018. Just really just the first month, a 5% increase? Really? Why no, is that? no, that's, that's been a standard trend for the last few years. The industry's been really hot. But this year, um, we're, we're forecasting 5% growth. Uh, and it's starting a lot of growth. Okay. You guys have seen a lot of growth there. You had 13 new hotels built in the last four years. So you added 2,000 right. new rooms. Um, but the reason why we're, we're happy where the price point is for Minneapolis is when we compare it versus Houston's Super Bowl, um, your prices are, are a little bit uh, less than it was for Houston, even though your market has half as many rooms. You have 40,000 total hotel rooms in the greater Minneapolis area, and Houston has 80,000. So, you know, with the NFL before they even announced the dates, blocking about 19,000 of those rooms, it was heavily estimated that there would be no inventory. And actually, we've seen an increase in hotels. Last week, we only had 55 available hotels. Now we have 80 hotels available. And we've seen prices come down a little bit. So it's been good. Good for, for people really wanting to travel for the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah I think it's good. Uh, travel economics analyst Tim Henschel, CEO of HotelPlanet.com, compiled an all-star list of hotels and events that will make any NFL fan drool over affordability of attending Super Bowl 52. So the average one-night stay uh, at a – now, are we talking a two- and three-star hotel where it's 312 to about 318? Is that correct? Yes, exactly. And and the reason for that is is that, that in that 19,000 rooms at the NFL block, they blocked all the five, four, and three-and-a-half-star properties that are close oh, okay. to the stadium. Um, but as of today, they did release some of those rooms because I see a, a Sheridan in St. Paul that uh, is a four-star that we have availability in, and the price is pretty reasonable. It's around $600. So there's some three-stars that are trying to get $700, but for the most part, I'm seeing them getting slashed down to 480 For decent properties, about 10 miles from the stadium and there's about 15 of those those are averaging around 300 to 400 dollars a night which i think is very reasonable if you can get a three star with good reviews that close to the stadium for that kind of price yeah. four days out from the super bowl that's good I so that, really that six in motel yeah yeah there's a motel six no actually it's a red roof that's about 30 miles out that's 78 dollars right now if you want to drive a little bit <laughs> money yeah <laughs> That's amazing, but the six in, in the six in Motel Six doesn't mean six dollars anymore. No, not over Super Bowl days. They're about one. They want to get about one hundred and fifty dollars for Super Bowl. And I mean, you Why can always are... stay at Chateau Red Bull, and that's when you just buy six Red Bulls and never go to sleep. So that's always an option. <laughs> That'll cost you about eight bucks. That's in there line you with go. Motel Six chances. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why are there availabilities this close to the Super Bowl? So we're attributing it to, you know, three factors, um, weather being a big one, um, the mm. teams being Northeast teams, there's no West Coast teams in it, uh, which affects yeah. the majority of Super Bowl visitors are actually drive market, because you only have 40,000 rooms. There was a million people that went to Houston, and they had rooms available one week out from the Super Bowl. You have half as many rooms, and 
you're going to see about 700 to 800,000 people come for your Super Bowl. And that's mainly the difference of population. Texas has 28 million people. If you take all the surrounding states around you, you only have about 18 million people. So your drive market is right. less, and, and the demand for the two teams playing in your surrounding area is not as great. I, I have so a I question. That's one of the big reasons we're seeing, too. I have a Plus, question. Ratings for the NFL was down this year, too, as you guys know. Go ahead. Right. I, I'm curious, is, is it possibly uh, because there's a lot of Minnesota fans thinking the Vikings might get into the Super Bowl that booked hotel rooms and then when they lost, oh. they canceled? Yeah, there definitely would be some of that. That could explain why we're seeing uh, more last-minute inventory come on line for sure. But I definitely think the four-star uh, properties we're seeing was released by the NFL because they definitely would have had that inventory locked up. We don't, ha- we don't have done, a five-star hotel in Minneapolis at all. We have not even one. We don't? Nope. No, there's not one five-star ho- hotel in the city of Minneapolis. There's one. St. Paul Hotel is the only one in the, in the metro. Mm. Huh. That's interesting because, you know, per the NBA contract, you guys have an, a very good NBA co- team. And NBA teams, because we do three NBA teams travel, they have to stay at a five-star for the NBA contract. Well, they must stay at the Hotel St. Paul because it's the only one in the yeah, Twin Cities. Must. I don't think so. I think they stay at the one right the across. They stay at the Grand. Yeah. But it's not a five-star hotel. Oh. Neither of them are. They're four. Mm. Huh. I did a whole story well. when the stars lie. It's about hotels in the Twin Cities, and there's no five-star hotel in the Twin Cities except St. Paul Hotel. Really? That is a fun well. fact. Yep. And, you know, I also think that Airbnb, it is. I think that Airbnb you know, is playing a role, too. It's been playing a role that we've been tracking for the last few years at all major events. So whenever, you know, hotel rooms start to spike, people look for alternative accommodations. And, uh, you know, the bigger Airbnb gets, the more that it brings down hotel rates, which we think is good because that's good for customers, good for consumers. So that's playing a role, too, you know, I would say. Yeah, Tim. I uh, I always rate uh, people that I that I uh, interview, and you just went to five star because of your smart ass response to <laughs> L.A. by going. Oh, that's a fun fact. He just Cliff Clavin you. I know. He, always <laughs> he Cliff Clavin you. That was Tim. That was. Well, I feel like we're old right. friends already. I'm used to it. <laughs> That was fantastic. Oh, I keep hearing people talk about five-star hotels in Minneapolis. Like, there isn't, there isn't any. There's not one. Well, close yeah, enough. I, I, I totally believe you, actually, on that. You know, you're, you're definitely <laughs> probably right. I was just using the, the four, five, three-and-a-half-star reference in general uh, for typical NFL room blocks when they come into the city as part of their writer when they first put out their RFP, you know? Yeah. Right. Right, the players absolutely. are all staying at the Radisson Blue. Aren't a lot they? of people don't know the difference between a five star and five diamond. So most of the world uses diamonds, which is not amenities but quality. We use stars, mm. which is amenities. So you have to have a pool to have five stars. You have to have a a, 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 a hotel is a pool. Yeah, you have to have a, a marble foyer way, an entryway to have five stars because it's all amenities. That's kind of right. So the dumb. star, the star rating is actually more generic and is more globally used. It's actually the diamond is um, trademarked by AAA. So five diamond rating in the U.S. is trademarked AAA. And I, I would have to look up if it's, a, but I actually know that because AAA used to be a part owner in our company. So they will, if we ever have diamonds on this on the site, that's that's licensed trademarked to AAA. Didn't know that. I know most of Europe uses diamonds. 
Yeah, they no, might Tim, not you have come the to... same rights to the international. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. Tim, are you going to come to the Super Bowl yourself? No, I've been in, in the past, but we did the team travel for the Jets, for the Chargers, the Rams, and the Redskins. And none of our teams are, are going this year, as you know. So um, we didn't get invited, unfortunately. We've got to have one of our teams yeah. make it. Sure. Well, one thing I would have, I could have told everybody who booked hotels is I've been a lifelong Viking fan. I could have told them before the game even started there was no way the Vikings were going to the to the Super Bowl because I've been a fan since I'm nine, and they just don't get it done ever. Seems that way. It could be worse. <laughs> There's a lot of other It could be. There. It could be Cardinals. Well, that's true. That's a very, or very good Dolphins point. There's a very good days. point. Oh, my God, the Dolphins, they were just – in Palm Beach, Florida, so I can say that. Oh, your headquarters is in Palm Beach? Well, we're in Palm Beach. Um, actually, in, in the top of the PNC building in West Palm Beach. Oh, yeah. You know absolutely. that area. Yeah. I definitely know. We, we know that area very, very well, as a matter of fact. So is that where you hang out? No, I'm actually based in our London office. Oh, big shot, Tim. <laughs> I just, nothing about that. I've just been there for the last six years because... Um, I have a co-founder. He he headquarters out of our North America headquarters in, in West Palm Beach, and I've just been um, growing the European office from from London for the last six years. Well, because I tell you, so Tim, you, you sound work. like you're probably you sound like you're about 24 years old, actually. Well, thank you for that. I'm 39, actually. But, oh, there you uh, go. So yeah. you, you sound very youthful. Yeah, thank you. So it's all good. It's all good. I mean. It, Hotel stays are, are are wonderful for people in general. It it all depends. I mean, a lot of times people can't sleep in hotels, or but uh, like one of my favorite hotels. We just stayed down there in, in November, the Peninsula in Chicago. I love that hotel. That that's the kind of hotel that I like to stay in. It's kind of right where you need to be, and I don't know. I just they have wonderful rooms and very comfortable. The more I feel at home, the better I would sleep at a hotel. Is that pretty much how everybody feels? I would say so. If I could put a plug out there, I think the Breakers on Palm Beach is a world-class resort. Oh. If you get a chance to go there, oh, you it's so beautiful. We're nearby. You can yeah. look. You can see it, yeah. can't you? Yep, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah right from our office. I stayed there last year. They came up and told me I couldn't look at my cell phone at the pool, though. Oh, wow. Really? really? Yeah, yeah. And you, can't wear, you know the- can't wear a hat anywhere on the property. No baseball hat, no any kind of hat. I wear a hat yeah, that's every, every that's time. That's not that. Female can. Actually at the female break. can. Males cannot. I'm pretty sure you stayed at the Bruckers, not the No, Bruckers. no, no. <laughs> and then the I, asked them, I, asked them about, I asked them about a rug that was hanging up in the, on the wall in the bar, and they said, you mean the tapestry? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, that, I'm like, yeah, that rug right there. <laughs> that used to be the tapestry bar. Yes. Oh. It used to be called the tapestry but bar. Yeah, no hats but anywhere you- on the property and no cell phone use near the pool. Oh, there's a quiet pool where you are not supposed to I have wasn't it. talking on the phone. I was just looking at it. But no phones at all, apparently. Sorry. You're out. You're, You're out of the Not mix. quiet enough. <laughs> That's just how it is. They Tim, might, I'll they tell might you do what. It for the celebrities that they have the, at the hotel, too. I know a lot of uh, hotels that are mm. more exclusive, where they have a lot of celebrity guests, don't want, you know, phones around for that reason. Yeah, I was a celebrity yeah. guest. Oh, for pictures? <laughs> we did see Maury at the Breakers once. I was a celebrity guest. Maury and Connie Chung. Yeah, yeah. you were. Yeah, the we took pictures of them and no one like yelled that. at us. Yeah, they should have, absolutely. I did have a good time. I did have a good time there, though. And then you'll be fine. Yeah, I had I'll, a good time, I'll call though. Them up. Tim, I still, uh, like I said, you're still a five-star guest because of what when you said... <laughs> 
something like is, and that's something. <laughs> or whatever that's it was a fun fact. Said. Fun fact. That's a fun fact. And it was. It's a very fun fact. <laughs> Tim Henschel, ladies and gentlemen, travel economics analyst Tim Henschel, CEO of HotelPlanner.com. Tim, it was a pleasure having you on, sir. Thank you for taking your time with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great Super Bowl. Thanks, Tim. You too. Not bad. 39 years old, CEO of a big company, living in London. I would have liked to say, go Vikes, but can't do it. Can't do it. None of that. It's not possible. (laughs) It is not possible to say that ever, if you're a Viking fan, oh, God. I just can't (laughs) even think about it. Way to go, Catherine. I feel much better now. Thanks, Catherine. I gave up. Now now they're screwed screwed next year, too, because they have a terrible schedule. Just terrible schedule. Oh, oh really? Oh, their schedule's horrible. Oh, good. Like, they can't mm-hmm. win next year because their schedule's so bad. Oh, awesome. Oh. Fantastic. Lovely. <laughs> so you well, thanks, won't be watching Nick again from next Philadelphia. Year, <laughs> <laughs> I was born in Philadelphia, that's all. Yeah. Oh, God. I was born and left. Eagles suck. So you're not an Eagles suck, fan? Uh, I, wouldn't mind seeing, I wouldn't mind seeing Philly get a win. Get out. Get out. Hey, my, <laughs> my parents live there, man. Get out. You know, my They're parents mean. live there, so... You're you're mean to all of us. The Let me just point that out. The team is fine. It's the fans. Well, not are. all the fans. No, My not parents live fan. there. Yeah, and family. They're nice people. Yeah, no, I know. And Nancy's been going around and interviewing Philly fans for this for the Business Journal. Mm-hmm. She said they all been sweethearts. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. I'm really? glad to hear that. Yep. So they all been sweethearts. Uh, I- I was at Rittenhour Square, and uh, L.A. Nick's mother threw a beer can at my head. I'll never forget it. <laughs> long as I live. She got a good arm on her, man. That yeah, was her did. being nice. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. Her yeah, they're called nice. love taps, man. It's a Philadelphia hello. They're love taps. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family. 